Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. A particular message that's come along this week. And with that, let's go ahead and turn this over to Pastor Matt. Well, that's awesome. I didn't know that was a thing. So we'll all be sure and send uh, to your favorite other pastor because, you know, (laughs) hey, welcome. It's so awesome to be here with you guys. Uh, There's one thing I want to tell you about. Men, men. Oh, there they are. Uh, Friday night out here on the farm, weather permitting, we'll be uh, cooking out, hanging out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Beer and wine. Uh, If you drink that stuff, it'll be out here. We'll have all kinds of other good stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Bring something to grill. We'll bring out a giant grill. It'll be fun. (laughs) I don't know. Sometime in the evening, just show up whenever. We'll also have food. Yeah, we'll have food. We'll have, I mean, you know, whatever. We'll just do it. But hanging out this weekend, you, uh, you could just uh, bring a friend. Come on out uh, uh, here on the land at 315 Reed Dairy. It's going to be awesome. Hey, have you ever heard the phrase, what are you doing? Anybody ever ask you that? What are you doing? Or maybe somebody was just like, what are you, what are you doing? That's actually what I say to um, our, our worship team leader, Ashley Cook, like most every week. What, what are you doing? Or the other emphasis would be like, what are you actually doing? Like, what are, you, what are you doing, right? There's all kinds of different ways to hear that. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase, but I would bet everybody here in the house and in your house has heard the phrase, what are you doing? So I remember when I was a kid, I decided that I wanted to build what I would call a megafort. And if you've ever been a child, you understand what megafort is. Megafort is not one blanket tied up onto the bed. Megafort is all the blankets in the house, all the chip clips, all the clothespins, all the things you could find to get them to, to like work. So I decided, I thought it'd be really, really fun to make Megafort. So I also thought that Megafort probably needed to develop some sort of tunnel system to get me from my bedroom down to the kitchen, right? So Megafort started in the bedroom. It was all, it had several rooms. I had lamps, so it had electricity, right? And it had a fan because it's a little hot, you know, it's a little hot in Megafort. And so I put all this stuff together and had it then going in the, down the stairs. And then it, it took a left turn back around, went through the dining room. And I thought, what a great way to prop up you know, all of my Megaford blankets by putting them over across the chairs and the dining room table and using mom's china as a really great, like, thing to hold things in place. Like, not a big deal, right? Because it's Megaford and it's Megaford. And I remember mom coming in and asking me, what are you doing? And I was so freaked out. And I was like, I'm making Megafords. I didn't understand at the time. It was a really big deal. Of course, not much has changed now. Working on a project down in my basement, I decided that I wanted to have Two televisions, because like technology is really cheap, and I had a couple. I had a neighbor give me a free television, so so he's like, I don't really want this thing. You want it? I'm just like, yes, I'm gonna hook it up, and I'm gonna put two different things at once on it, and on two different TVs, so I can sit there and I can watch two different things at the same time. Which means that I could like watch one particular NFL game, and then I can also put on the Red Zone channel. I can have all the NFL games, and it's the most amazing thing ever. So I'm down there, I'm putting the whole thing together, I'm like working on this thing, and my wife comes down and walks outside and sees that I now have two mounts up on the wall and she's like what are you doing I'm like I'm making mega fort I don't know (laughs) the same question gets posed to us all the time right what are you doing ask any junior or high school senior and I guarantee you somebody within the last week has asked them so do you know what you're going to do you know you you know what what you're going to do with your life you know like what are you doing next like they ask them that every time as if they have any kind of idea what they're going to do. I, I don't, I'm, like, I, I'm hoping I'm going to college. Maybe I'm not going to college. I'm going to do whatever it is I'm going to. I talk to 40-year-olds now that I still would say have trouble answering the question, 
what are you doing with your life? Like, what's next? You know, there are all these people in, the, in, the, in our room just raise their hand. Truth. And I ask my kids this probably once a week, once a day. What are you doing? What are you doing? But it's not a question that's really terrible, right? I mean, like we often, what we do sort of defines who we are, right? You ever gone to a party or, well, remember when we could go to parties, everyone? Can we just lament for a second? We could all be together in big situations like that. Anyway, and you meet somebody for the first time, you shake their hand. Oh my gosh, you remember when we could shake hands too? I'm just like on a roll here for a second. And you could stand within six feet of a person. Okay, I quit. Oh my gosh, do you remember that? It was a good time. All right, side done. All right, <clears throat> you go to a party, you meet somebody, you talk to them, and you'd say, uh, so uh, what do you do? You would ask them that, and often it would define kind of who a person was. And there's also another small caveat to this, which is that there's a big difference between what your words say and what your actions are about, right? There's a big difference. As a matter of fact, there's a great big chasm sometimes even between saying, well, I I am all about this, but then you actually do this. Sometimes there's a really great big gap. So that question is a really great question. I just want to have that sitting out there for us today. What are you doing? And kind of hold on to that as we look into our, our prophet. We're reading from Isaiah this week. Now, now we're in a new sermon series, but we're staying with the prophets, all right? So, so this new sermon series is called You Will Be Amazed. It's a really exciting time, especially as we think about how our gifts uh, to the ministry help it make sense and make it work. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at, at our own gifts and inviting people to do pledge cards and all that stuff. That's all coming. If you're not aware, get ready. It's coming. But this is about Isaiah, and we're getting into the major prophets. Now, read that as some of the larger books, right? We have more story on them. Like, you know, we have some of the smaller prophets that we've done just before, like Micah, which is like six chapters, and Isaiah is like 60. I mean, like, it's a whole different sort of thing when it comes to the Bible. So Isaiah, short scholarly stuff. Everybody ready? Just say yeah. Yeah. 8th century BC, 800 years before the birth of Christ, right? And it's all about the relationship between God and Israel. And what does it mean to have a relationship? This God who loves this particular people and has promised some things to this particular people, covenanted even with this particular people. What does life look like, right? Now, I'm going to leave it at that. There's a whole bunch more scholarly information, which I'm sure you're going through in your small groups, or you can look up online or whatever the case is. This time, right, Oh, no, no, before I say that, uh, Isaiah is ultimately also filled with all kinds of verses that are ref- referenced later on in Scripture, right? So, so like all of these folks throughout the rest of time, so think 800 years, this is how important this book was, before Christ, it even is starting to be repeated and then repeated all the way through Christian history, right? People are always talking about Isaiah, and there's some really, really cool stuff in there. But it's speaking to a people about how to be the people of God. Ultimately asking the question, what are you doing? What is this relationship all about? What it means to be in a relationship with God? And it begs the question to all of us, what are you doing? What are you doing in your relationship with God? All right, so I'm going to read Isaiah 58, 7 through 12. This is coming from the NLT, New Living Translation. I thought this was a great translation. Sorry, in verse 7. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Okay, that's what it means. It's verse seven. (laughs) That's okay. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, 
The Lord will answer, yes, I'm here. He will reply quickly. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and restorer of homes. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. So this is when the pastor starts looking at the camera, you know, you watch the televangelist, because that's what we are now, right? Are we all just kind of like tele- televangelists, right? The pastor starts looking in the camera, leans over, gets real serious like, and says, church, what are you doing? Hmm? You read, you read, you read uh, Isaiah 58? You did? You heard what it said? Yeah, it's supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Feed, take care of the homeless. Love neighbors. Don't hide from relatives. Don't spread vicious rumors. Look for places where you can come together rather than divide. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And I bet a bunch of you were like, all right, I see where pastor's going with this one. Anybody want coffee? I'm going to go just, matter of fact, I'm just going um, to refill my coffee. I'll see you guys in just a minute. I'll, I'll be right back. Get your coffee? Good? Or maybe some of you are like, oh, man, you know, I, I was just thinking, I got to check some emails real quick. Uh, but I'll be back when he's finishing, when the music starts again, and, and we'll, be, we'll be all right. I feel you. I do, right? I don't need any more pressure either. It's, it's, too much past, it's too much, Pastor. It's too much pressure. I only have so much energy. What am I doing? What you're really saying is, Pastor, why am I not feeding the hungry? Why am I not fixing homelessness and ending disease? Why am I not running myself ragged for others? Dude, I'm just trying to keep my family together right now. I'm just trying to justify each day why my job still needs me. I'm just trying to keep my family from talking about politics for like one second. I don't have the attention to give to social issues. I I can't do anything else to help right now. I'm just trying to keep it together literally for one second. Can you talk about Jesus? holding a baby or a lamb or something pastor can we go there can we just stay there brothers and sisters you're right you're right you can't you can't you can't get all of those things i get it i understand but see here's the thing it was never really about you it's about god within you who is strong enough who does have energy to burn, who expects to use your gifts for the benefit of others. The same God that meets us here in the bread and wine and empowers us. The same God that calls us to the waters of baptism and brings us to new life. So take a breath because brothers and sisters, it's not about you. Well, all right. But hang on a second. I, this, is, this is a chaotic sermon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw another scripture at you. Can you guys handle two scriptures, people? We good? Can we do two? All right, I'm reading a second one. I, got, I had to do it. Lord gave it to me. Had to do it. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. You know this story. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher! I, could feel, I feel that's how he said it. Teacher! He said, what must I do to enter eternal life? Now, he was trying to trap him, right? He said to him, well, what's written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've given the right answer. Do this, and you'll live. We could stop there, but the story gets juicy next. But wanting to justify himself, he asked, And uh, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going... Now, don't, don't think priest, right? Think like rabbi almost in this particular case. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, think about like another priest, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. They changed to the other side of the road, like they were heading that way, that side of the road. He was there in the middle of the road. They went to the other side of the road. Everybody got that visual? Just say yeah. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is a ton of money, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Now, which of these, Jesus asks, do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, again, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Now, I want to go off script for just a second. I know that's dangerous, but reading this just points really very quickly to how... um, how important it is that we understand how this is ultimately labeled the good Samaritan, right? That would be saying like the nice white woman, right? Or the good black person as to assume that every white person wasn't nice and every black person was bad, that it would be labeled the good Samaritan. It's a problematic title and it's problematic because we have always had social barriers that make us think different things about one another. You could put just about anybody into this story and it would still make sense because of what Jesus is trying to call us to do. We could talk about all kinds of other things, right? But I want to focus on the one question he asked. So then, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this story is all about crossing to the other side of the road. Think about it, right? These two folks walking in line, and here he was, right where they were supposed to be. They didn't want to be any closer to that side of the road that they could be. And I could get into all that, but I'm just going to let that one go for a minute so you can stay with me. So they're walking this side of the road. The people that should, by all standards of the people listening to this story, be the ones that would help this man, right? And he's walking along. That's our people on the road, and they know it, and they walk to the other side of the road, to the place that they don't really want to be on the other side of the road. They go to the other side of the road to avoid having to talk to him. But it says the Samaritan, the one who wasn't this person's uh, like kin, was, was actually always at odds. They were always at odds. This is a people that were always at odds with one another. He actually moves from his station, from his journey, from his trajectory over to help. 
Now, it's a really, really, really significant thing because sometimes that's what it means for us in our own roads of life, right? When we see those hurting, it means that we actually have to sort of step out of our own station in life to make a move, and it's going to be a bit of a sacrifice to do so, right? It means that we have to give up a little bit of who we are so that we can walk in the same road, in the same shoes as somebody else that's hurting. It means that we have to understand their story, that we want to find out who they are, what they're going through, and actually move out of our own privilege to be where they are so that we can love them back to life. That's what it means. It means seeking out others different than you racially, socially, economically. I mean, you fill in the blank and looking for yourself in them. This is another human being that's hurting. It's another human being, regardless of any of the other things. It's blood and flesh that God created just like you and me. I mean, would you really care who gave you back your life if you were the broken one? See, our call is to show mercy and grace. Yes, but Jesus and Isaiah call us to do even more, right? It's good enough to be merciful and grace-filled, and, and, and it's a whole different thing to ultimately love your neighbor, those who aren't you, to make a sacrifice of your privilege, of your wealth, of your station in life. You're not up there so that you can soak in the glory. You're up there so that you can pull others up with you. So brothers and sisters, we're asked again, what are you doing? It's a heavy weight to bear. And it's how we balance the way that we preach. We preach both law and gospel. The law reminds us of who that we're called to be. And the gospel reminds us that it's ultimately God at work through us. You remember what Pastor Melody said? I'm, I know you do. Because you all remember every sermon. And you tune in and you rewatch them. And you listen to them every day of the week. Right, Mo? Just the ones that I'm not in. Excellent, excellent answer. So then you definitely remember what Pastor Melody said last week. She said it's about the little things. It's about the little things that we do. You don't, have, you don't have to figure out how to change the world all at once, right? You don't have to figure out how to make a massive shift. That's not ultimately your call. Your call is just to be where you are in the circles that you're in and make a difference in the lives there. The little things. Moving the little, the needle just a little bit means a whole lot when the needle's way out here and it moves. Moves, it moves a lot more. And yet at the same time, as Christians, it's not our job to just sit back and watch. It's not our job to just throw up our hands and say, well, my voice doesn't matter. It's just one and a, there's thousands of other ones. I, I just let it alone. It's not our job to throw up our hands and say, my work doesn't matter. I mean, because, like, I, I, I can make a difference with the one, ultimately, I'm sure. But, like, there are thousands more. I'm never, ever going to make a difference, ultimately. My gift to the church, it's so small. I, I, I can't afford much. I'm, I'm hurting. There's, I, I get it. Don't do anything that puts you in upside down. That's a terrible, terrible idea. God will care for you, and you'll be able to do things. But whatever it is that you give to the church, be it time, talent, or gifts, or finances, however it is, God will use whatever that is, whatever you might think is small, and make it something even bigger than you can imagine. That's how God works. And let me tell you, when you do, you will be amazed. So church, what are you doing? All right, say, if you stuck around 
this long in the sermon and you didn't go get coffee or you didn't start checking emails and you didn't just tune out and wait for Christina to start singing in because that's, that's what we're all really waiting for anyway. I'm going to buy you ice cream, okay? So you can call me out and we will go get ice cream together. We'll get ice cream, I promise you, if you stuck around this long in the sermon. Because if you did, you're about ready to hear the best part. What if that question, what are you doing, isn't really for us at all? Let's just use logic for a second because I started with the waters of baptism, right? That's where God claims us, makes us a child of God. And then God empowers us in communion. And God said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. You remember at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there also. That's who our God is. It's God's covenant that God brought forth. Medicine, baptism, empowers us communion. And it's God who's the one at work. It's God who's the subject of active verbs that's doing things. It's the church that's ultimately not a noun but it's a verb it's the movement of god in the world that's what church is it's not about a gathering inside or outside it's not about a gathering online it's ultimately about like ashley reminded us in his prayer right before worship relationship it's movement church is a verb of moving people from one place to another to see and know that god is real and that god loves you no matter what and then god has given you the gifts to make a difference in other people's lives so no it's not a question for us at all it's a question for god god God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing with my voice, my hands, my vote, my money, my breath, my family? What are you doing with my time, God, and my job? God, what are you doing with my action, with my passion, with my creativity? I guess sometimes, you know, God might just be building a mega fort in your life with the creativity and all the things that you bring to the table. God is doing these things through you right now. And what is God doing through you? God is turning the world in a better direction through you through all of us through the church one breath one second one moment one little decision at a time and that is the gospel it's not on your shoulders not at all it's God working through you and God answers that question time and time again what am I doing what am I doing oh stay tuned child of God just stay tuned because you will be amazed. Pray with me if you would. God, you're too good. You're too good to us. We tried to hold up the pillars of the church on our own, thinking that we've got to be the stone that keeps it all together. But you, oh God, are the cornerstone. You, oh God, are everything within us, our very bones and our breath. And you call us to be a witness in a world that's waiting and hoping to know that you are good, that you are alive, and that you bring forgiveness and mercy and grace. And God, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, all of God's children say, Really cool thing we're going to do really quick. We got a, a video to show you of our young people sharing their faith with the words of the creed. And uh, I just think it's an absolutely beautiful, wonderful thing. And so we let you see the kids of our church sharing the faith. God has made us God's people through baptism into Christ Jesus. Living together in trust and hope, we confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, 
his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The second under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into hell. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.